You may have seen a post I put on Facebook where I copied and pasted Psalm chapter 11 and Psalm chapter 12. Those have really ministered to me here over the last, I don't know, couple of months or several weeks, whatever. I encourage you, read those. And if you need to, you know, read them over and over again because basically they sum up what's happening in the world. The persecution is taking place. But then it also reminds us, hey, God's on the throne and he's watching this and he's going to move. He's not, he has not forgotten you. Did you hear about the lady over in England that got arrested for praying? This is true. This actually happened. This lady was standing on a street corner across from a, um, like an abortion clinic or something like that, standing on the street corner, praying silently. The police approached her and asked her, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm praying. They arrested her. Yeah. Praying silently. She was not verbalizing her prayer. And they arrested her. Are you praying? Yes, you're under arrest. Now, we think these things can't happen. They're happening. Now, I don't know uh, what's happened since she was arrested, but I know there's been a lot of public outcry about this. And really, that is something, let me put it like this, if you are going to arrest a Christian for praying silently on a street corner, then you, bless God, had better be arresting every Muslim who drops down in public on his knees and starts praying. Every Hindu, every anybody of any religion. Now granted, we know Jesus is the only way. However, when you start arresting people for praying silently, okay, we got a major problem, and it doesn't matter what religion you are. This isn't right. So, you know, I just say in Jesus' name, may wisdom and common sense dictate in this situation because that's not good there's another situation took place in Ireland a pastor got arrested for having a service and I've actually preached in this church I'm not going to go into all the details but it would just it just wasn't right what happened well anyway all the charges got dismissed glory to God thank you Jesus this past Wednesday night, we had a really blessed move of God. It was, it was super special. And I did not get to minister what I thought I was going to minister, so I'll get to that in a little bit. But one of the things I mentioned is that right after the most recent elections, the Lord began to minister to me about what had happened. And it was just a, a very brief word but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you now. Part of this, there's a reference to Barabbas. And what I did was go back in Scripture to find out what exactly was it about Barabbas. And when I get to that point here in this word, I'll just make reference to that. So I'm explaining to you now um, you know, what happened. And just listen closely to this. While praying after the elections of November 8th, 2022, the Holy Spirit shared the following with me. Recent voting is essentially identical to what happened with Jesus. 
The people knew Barabbas and what he had done. He was a notable prisoner, had led an insurrection or insurrections. He was involved in rioting. He was a murderer and he was a robber. They also knew all the good Jesus had done and represented along with all the truth he taught and the benefits he promised. Yet, religious leaders within the Jewish community continually opposed him and denounced everything he stood for. Then, through their lies and manipulations, they inspired the people to elect Barabbas. The people in your country were fully aware of what the Democrats and liberals had done over the past two years and the devastation their policies have brought upon this nation. They were also fully aware of how the Republicans were opposed to those destructive policies. But through the lies and manipulation, the leaders and voices of the Democrat religion inspired the people to elect Barabbas. Now you wonder, okay, well, explain this to me. Remember when Pilate had Barabbas and Jesus before the people. And he asked them, who do you want? And they said, give us Barabbas. In other words, you had Barabbas and Jesus up for election. And the people chose who they wanted. And they chose a murderer. They chose a robber. They chose somebody who you would say was on the most wanted list. They chose someone who had instigated rioting. And they knew he had done this. But instead, give us Barabbas. Now, do you think, when, do you think Barabbas was shocked by that? You better believe it. And so now he gets released. And what do you think he did? What, you think he ran to church and repented? <laughs> Seriously? Oh, I know there are a lot of people out there. I think there's a movie out that talks about how he got his life right with God or something. It's a movie, all right? I did some research, and I cannot find anything accurate about what happened to him after he was released. However, my personal conviction and belief, he just went back to what he was doing before. I mean, you people want me? Fine. You know what I'm going to do when I'm there. You know what I'm going to do when I'm released. And then he got released. And the same thing. The people in this country knew what the, the Democrats and the liberals had done with their policies. They knew it. They absolutely knew it. Even the liberal news media brought out the Democrats are proposing. I mean, it was known. Nothing was hidden. Well, actually, some things were hidden. <laughs> But the people knew, and they also knew that the Republicans were saying, no, we will change this, we will stop that, we will, we will not let that continue, so on and so forth. And the people said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. If you think for one minute that the next two years are going to be sunshine and roses, you are desperately wrong. Already some things have been passed that are going to continue the devastation in this country. This fits into what I'm going to be sharing this morning 
there are two prophetic words I'm going to read to you. One is from Mario Murillo, and the other is what the Holy Spirit gave to me. Both of them are centered on Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And you, you can turn to it if you want, but I'm going to be reading it to you. And what's interesting is that both of these words, they're not identical, but they're very similar. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to first read the one by, uh, that came from the Lord through Mario Murillo. Then I'm going to read the one that the Holy Spirit gave to me. So here's the first one that was shared by Mario Murillo. And this one came forth on December 22nd. He wrote, 2023 will be a massive storm followed by a massive opportunity. It is a few days before Christmas and we are preparing for a storm. They say that tonight it will drop below zero. Not only that, but strong winds will make the wind chill feel like 22 below zero. The news is filled with emphatic warnings and advice. They are warning us to be prepared. It will be dangerous to go outside. We must pay attention to our water pipes. We should have water and supplies in case the roads are impassable and the power goes out. How very foolish it would be for us not to listen. Yet, there is even worse foolishness that takes place among Christians when God warns us of a coming storm. Divine warnings are ignored and are called negative and not of faith. But if God is warning us, then it is truth. And there is nothing more positive and full of faith than truth. Whereas false promises of safety and blessing are the most dangerous of all lies. Your mail and email box will be filled with messages from ministers prophesying to you about 2023. They will tell you that it will be all blessings, breakthroughs, multiplication, and favor. I've already received two of those. It would amaze you how many ministries depend on marketing advice on raising money. Mario Murillo Ministries just ignores such advice, but those ministries that follow it are told, issue a cheery year-end letter. But that is just a fundraising ploy. The idea is, the more upbeat my message, the more money people will send me. That, that is obviously true. Did you know that there, there are organization, businesses out there which offer to work with ministries to teach them certain business practices that will increase income? Yeah. <laughs> and it's shocking, but sure enough, and let's just say it might be possible there are some ministries that subscribe. When I say subscribe, I mean subscribe and pay for the services of those businesses. We hear these predictions every year, and every year a large segment of God's people never bother to go back and see how wrong they were. In December of 2019, most of these prophetic voices predicted that a long list of blessings was ahead. Then the pandemic hit. Near the end of 2020, we were told that 2021 would be the best of times. Then the election was derailed. And does anyone remember how great 2022 was supposed to be? Yeah, right. Well, I'm telling you that 2023 will begin as a massive storm, but it will end as a vast opportunity, perhaps the greatest opportunity of our lives. The massive storm will be in nature, our money, and the condition of cities. A long overdue cultural correction is coming in the new year. God is judging America. We will be spared destruction, but not punishment. 
Why are we being punished? There is a long list of reasons. But I will answer that with that question with a question. Did many Americans increase their own misery by voting to keep incompetent criminals in office because they wanted to save abortion? Now let's dig into the Word of God to see what it says about the storm warnings. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In simple terms, heeding the teachings of Jesus is like preparing for a storm. The book of Timothy can be read as a storm preparation. The essence of the book is this. Paul is saying, I am leaving soon. I want to prepare you for what is coming. He then directs Timothy to take specific action to be ready And that is exactly what I want you to do before 2023 arrives. Paul tells Timothy about several coming storms. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Then Paul describes the moral depravity of the last days that we are currently experiencing. But there are two storms, he predicts, that will be within the church. The first one is fake ministers, and the second one is fake audiences. These two are bringing down judgment on the church. Fake ministers. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Years ago, when I was a young preacher, I thought that the scandals with Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart would dissuade men from sin, pride, and foolishness. But instead, the scandals only got worse. The Bible was right. Many prophetic words today are not just garish, they are patently screwball and embarrassing. My greatest shock is that when the leaders of the prophetic movement are not correcting these charlatans, especially when you consider that these false prophets are going to discredit the entire movement. In 2023, you will see God take matters into his own hands. If false teachers do not repent, a storm of divine correction will fall upon them. Fake audiences. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Silly voices continue to deceive because of the silly audiences with their silly appetites. Paul is telling Timothy that Satan will send massive waves of false teachers and false doctrines to damage the local church, take the army of God off the offensive, and destroy believers. Those are the threats to the church in 2023 that the storm will correct. But those who take Bible precautions against the storm will not just survive, they will thrive and become part of the great opportunity that will come after the storm. Can a storm be a good thing? Yes, both in nature and in the spirit. Thunderstorms help keep the earth in electrical balance. Hurricanes actually replenish barrier islands. They also provide a global heat balance. 
One of the main purposes for hurricanes around the globe is a temperature balance between the poles and the equator. The storm coming in 2023 is actually sent to cleanse and bring balance to a nation on the brink of moral and physical disaster. We can either dread it or be ready for it. We have already heard what Jesus said to do. Heed his words and build on the rock. Paul gave Timothy similar instructions. Strong advice. Get away from the false ministers and into the word of God. Satan is using false teachers to get believers away from scripture and away from the safety of a strong pastor and a strong local church. The devil is also threatening the church's role in an American awakening. That is why I believe the Lord will clean house in 2023. The storm will separate sheep and goats. Otherwise, we can lose our place in American awakening. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17 But you must continue into things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Strong advice. Lose the crowd that is running after fad doctrines and flaky events that promise words from God. Instead, dig deeper into the Bible. They have traded the Bible for man's words. They have grieved the Holy Spirit by trusting voices that are not of God. This will weaken you and even shipwreck you if you run with them. Paul has strong advice for preachers. After telling Timothy about the false crowds, he said, But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4.5 We must win souls. A clear sign of a false voice is they care nothing about lost souls and never call them to Jesus. 2023 will begin with a national storm that will be strong enough to touch us all. When this storm passes, I believe we will find a chastised nation ready to receive the gospel. A true believer in Christ will welcome the storm if it means the nation will be cleansed and souls may be saved on a massive scale. God promised special protection for those whose hearts are loyal to the Lord. In the midst of the coming fierce storm, he will be a special protection. Mario Murillo Ministries is bracing itself for the storm by doing three things. Digging into the word, searching our own souls, and laying plans for the biggest soul-winning meetings in our history. What's interesting is that what he shares in that prophecy goes right along with a lot of things that we've heard for the last year or so. What's sad is how many Christians dismiss these kind of words. They just... Do you want to know why it is that so many Christians struggle when it comes to praise and worship? Sure you do. It's because over the years, I mean over the decades, over the centuries, we have been, the body of Christ, we have been lulled into a, to a, a sense of silence in the church. Because you see, throughout history, the, the, if you do any research at all, what you're going to find is that way back, or the, the, the pattern of what you might call Jewish 
praise and worship, it is vibrant, and it is alive. When they, when they are praising, they get into it. When they are worshiping, they do it. Now we understand the difference between believing Jesus is the Messiah and not. That doesn't change what takes place. And if you study in the Old Testament different times where uh, it's identifying praise and worship, you, if you just read it, you can see that's different from what we see in church today. And so what's happened is people have come to the place of, in the body of Christ, we've actually been trained not to engage in praise and worship, no matter what we say. And there are even people in this congregation, you know, there's an anchor in your life when it comes to this. And this is on you. God's not going to break it. If you want to break it, you have the key. And and some of you, you know, the very we had a word several years ago. The Lord said, uh, "There's somebody in here. You're believing for a healing in your body. If you will praise, if you'll worship, the healing will manifest." And that never happened. Never. Even though that person male or female, not going to identify, even though that person heard, it never happened. Now, this isn't about praise and worship today. What it's about is the state of affairs in the body of Christ. We want God to move, but it's almost like what we're saying is, okay, God, here, here are your instructions on what you're going to do for us in this church. Or in the body of Christ. And God looks at it and says, well, looks like you've worked hard to put this together. However, I've already given you my word and told you what I will do and what I expect from you. So when we, and I know that nobody actually writes things out and says, here God, this is what you'll do. But the image is this. We're basically telling God, we will write the new versions of Scripture. And we will tell you how you will and will not do things. Well, that doesn't work. But that is exactly what goes on in a lot of churches that even teach, you must be born again. They declare, well, that's not what we believe, or that's not what our denomination believes. It's like, well, you know what? There's a book right here that your denomination says you believe, but yet you're not in agreement with it, not all of it. Okay, there's a serious problem there. And the reason that some people, I remember one time somebody attended one of our services. The praise and worship was really good. But this was a person who is, uh, um, well, they were a very intellectual person. In fact, um, I think they actually were, uh, this person was like a professor of religion at a university. And when the service was over, somebody was talking to him about it, and he basically described what happened as controlled chaos. And I'm thinking, you know what? (laughs) It's at times like that when I, you know, you got to bite your tongue because the flesh wants to take over. However, 
that's the way a lot of Christians would describe what goes on in this church. And it's kind of tame here. But they would say, well, you know, I'm just not used to that. And the re- okay, are you born again? Absolutely, I'm born again. Washed in the blood of Jesus, etc., etc. Okay, you know why you're not used to that? It's because you have been involved in a church culture that actually denies the pattern in Scripture. Now, that's not your fault, but it is your fault if you continue on that path. Now, I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time, but here's the thing. Look, all that can be, God said in His Word, all that can be shaken is going to be shaken. He's trying to get us to open our eyes to see what it's going to take to truly have a move of God. And you know what? I don't know to whom this applies, but you're not as smart as you think you are. Don't you sit there and think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll tell you what. I challenge, I've never done this in my life. I challenge you right here and right now to an open debate in this pulpit. You take the word of God and you show me where I've blown it. I mean it. Come to me after the service. We will set a time for both of us to be up here and you can take the word of God and hammer me all as long as you want to prove to the world how wrong I am. And if you don't have the guts to do that, then you know what? You need to get it in the word yourself. And you, you need to grow up and quit being a you-know-what. You know what? Brother Martin, I don't appreciate your tone. It's better that you hear God... Okay. Maybe you ought to read how Jesus addressed the religious leaders not long before they arrested him. There comes a point in time when a cancer needs to be excised. And a lot of times that cancer is the attitude of a believer. Man, God hadn't moved like this in years. <laughs> it's all right. You know why he does things like this? It's because he's concerned about the the direction a person's headed. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're going to the church where God wants you. However, God said, he warned, what Mario Murillo made reference to people who got the itching ears. I'll find a church that fits my criteria, what I'm seeking for, and then everything's going to be okay between me and God. No, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. It only works the way God is setting His Word. We're going to have this outpouring and revival. Okay. I'll say that. As part of this judgment that's coming, all right, Here's what I'll do. I'm going to read to you the word the Lord gave me. And then I'm going to share a little bit more and go forward. When I read Matthew 7, uh, 24 through 27, I didn't sit at home last night or wake up this morning thinking, you know what, I bet the service is going to go this direction. Caught me off guard too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. <laughs> In Matthew 7, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, 
I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and built upon that house, and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. After reading the above passage, I had a vision, one that lasted only for a brief moment. In this vision, there were numerous people, each one standing individually on what looked to be a conical mound about five or six feet high. The top of each mound was large enough to stand on, but not large enough for the person on it to move around. Every mound looked solid and stable. Suddenly, something happened. And all the mounds but one in the center crumbled into small particles and fell, with the person on top falling to the ground below. Only the mound in the middle remained intact, and the man on it remained standing. The Holy Spirit explained the vision. The mounds represent the doctrine and faith on which so many Christians, including those in ministry, have built their lives. The lives of those Christians appear to be stable. The crumbling and failure of the mounds and subsequent fall of those Christians is a result of a storm that is a mix of judgment and calamity. The judgment is for the doctrinal error being taught and accepted by those in the pulpits and those in the seats receiving what is coming from the pulpits. Many preachers and lay Christians have compromised so much they are being turned over to a reprobate mind. For many of them, there is no hope as they continue on a path toward being twice dead. The calamity involves financial challenges, physical afflictions, social and political upheaval, family crises, and other such disruptions in day-to-day living. Christians who have built their faith on doctrinal error and who have assumptive and associational faith will be overwhelmed with confusion, fear, and anger. Assumptive and associational faith is when Christians assume they have great faith simply because they are associated with other Christians who have great faith and attend a church which teaches the truth about living by faith. These are the Christians who are hearers but not doers of the word. In some cases, the calamity will produce great stress and division in marriages as one spouse is trying to live by genuine faith while the other is living by assumptive and associational faith, becoming angry and defensive at the notion they don't have the faith they claim to possess. Some of those whose mound collapses will never recover. Others will have the eyes of their understanding enlightened and will begin rebuilding their lives and walk with God. This is where you, those hearing this prophecy, come in. You absolutely must be a doer of the word. You must do those things which produce spiritual growth so you are ready to help and disciple those Christians who are striving to rebuild their mound. Years of compromise in the church have resulted in the storm clouds gathering and this storm will be released in 2023. It's coming. Well, I don't believe it, Brother Martin. Okay. You see, part of the problem is so many Christians, their senses are so dulled 
they can't, uh, they can't see the trees for the forest. You know what I'm talking about. I've received a lot of silent criticism over the years. Silent criticism is that which is leveled at me outside the church. Me- meaning, they don't come to me. They may do it to somebody in the hallway or, or whatever. And it's interesting how that a lot of this, it's coming from people. Now, please don't think it's everybody in the church, okay? We're talking few and far between. But it comes from people, they absolutely are totally clueless when it comes to the things of God and and what's in the Word. You know, um, what would you want me to do? do I, you know, I mean, the Apostle Paul said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, look, I do what I do not to keep people happy, not to please man, but I do this because I'm trying to please God. And the reason he did that, he went on to explain, again paraphrasing, because a day is coming, I will be standing before God and have to give an account for what I do. But then he also said, by the way, all of you, you too are going to stand before God and give an account for what you've done. And for what you believed. A lot of Christians, they, they just don't want to hear confrontational messages. And yet, when you go through Scripture, I'm talking Genesis to Revelation. It is a constant flow of confrontation. Const- I mean, it starts in Genesis. You can't get past Genesis chapter 3 <laughs> without confrontation. And, the, and what's interesting, when God confronted Adam and Eve, do you understand they had an opportunity to repent? Do, do you realize that? Go back and read Genesis chapter 3. Read chapter, read chapter 2 leading into chapter 3. God says, Adam, have you... And he asked him, what have you done? Have you eaten? What have you done? Why are you, who told you you were naked? Adam, right then and there, he could have repented. He could have said, Eve, we've done wrong. We need to make this right before God. You know what they did? They said, it's not my fault. <laughs> it, it, it's not my fault that I took the fruit and put it in my hand and put it to my mouth and opened my mouth and chomped down and started to eat. That's not my fault. And God says, God didn't even address that. He just said, here's what's going to happen because of what you've done. I warned you. He warned, he said, if you eat, of, of, you eat everything you want, just not this tree. And if you eat of that tree, in the day you eat thereof, you die. He told them. So, that, you talk about a confrontational sermon and God, how did God say that to him? I don't know. But I'm sure it wasn't lovey-huggy. In other words, now, Adam, my boy, let me just tell you, son, don't eat that tree over there, because in the day you do, you're going to die. <laughs> okay, God, I hear you. No, I have no doubt that somehow it was something along the lines of, Adam... You can eat of all the trees here. But I'm telling you, if you eat 
from that tree right over there, the day you do, you will die. I have no doubt that Adam knew that God was serious. And see what happened? He did it anyway. It's the same thing today. You have... God gives these warnings through these prophecies and through what's happened here today. And Christians hear this. And they just dismiss it. And in some cases, they go ahead and they eat the fruit. You know, what's the fruit? The fruit is any teaching, any belief that takes them away from the very core values and standards of the Word of God. Because God gives this warning. I mean, he said in this <laughs> that some of these Christians, because of the, the error, the doctrinal error that they've been embracing, he says right here, for many of them there is no hope as they can continue on a path toward being twice dead. These are people that are still in church. This is a storm. Now, what I was about to say before... I read this. With, with, you're, there are going to be people. I don't know who. I don't know where. There are going to be Christians who are going to be dying. And they're going to be dying, as it said, before their time. You say, well, how are they going to do it? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have specifics. In, well, you know, we had somebody here one time. It was a long, long time ago. There was a word came forth. And I said... You know, you, I'm paraphrasing, you got a month to get it right. And if you don't, you're going to die. And the person that was in this service leaned over and told somebody, that was for me. They knew it. They said, that was for me. And you know what? They didn't change anything. They did not make it right 30 days later. They dropped over in a front yard dead. And this person wasn't even 40 years old. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, we can't be playing games with this stuff. God is moving. You know, how did it happen in the early church? And here's what I mean. When people were messing up, what happened? Well, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Dropped dead in church. You think that that can't happen again? And see, here's part of the problem. Christians today, we read things in the Bible and we detach ourselves from what we read. And we have this idea, yeah, you know, it's a bunch of stuff that happened back then, but, you know, whoo, praise God, those days are over. <laughs> those days are not over. They're not... Because if Ananias and Sapphira could die as a result of lying to the Holy Spirit, don't you think it's possible believers today could drop over dead playing those kind of games with God? You better believe it. Absolutely. There were people that they did things they shouldn't have done, taught things they shouldn't have done, acted in ways they shouldn't have acted. And you know what? Their names are in Scripture. Alexander the coppersmith. I mean, their names are in the Bible. 
Now, we read that and think, eh, Alexander and his buddies, man, they should have never done that. Boy, uh, well, no, for them to have their names in the Bible as somebody who did wrong, there's a whole lot more to what they did than what, what we ha- have maybe picked up on as we just read through the passages. Look, if you get your name in the Bible as somebody that did wrong, you did wrong. Really wrong. And God says, leave those people alone. Get away with them. John, he wrote about, uh, he wrote about I forget the fellow's name, and he said, <laughs> this guy is standing between those who preach truth and believers and doing everything he can to stop us in our tracks. In another place, somebody writes about, um, uh, when I get there, I'm going to deal with this situation. <laughs> Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, you got somebody in your church that's doing some stuff, that's the, the nasty stuff. You turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. You don't think God's serious about this? Just because you think you're exempt or you... You know, you, you think I'm just flying off the handle or whatever the case? Don't, don't listen to me then. Really? Please, read this book and take it seriously. Believe it. There's some people hearing these words, you're on thin ice. Now, that's all I'm allowed to say at this point. But you're on thin ice and your age is irrelevant. Because the moment you hear truth, you're accountable. Do you remember in the Old Testament, um, Elisha? Remember what happened? He's headed to a city, and it says a bunch of youths came out. Go on up, old baldy. Go on up. Well, there's more to that than what you realize. And what happened? What happened? <laughs> a bear came out and killed him. I... So if, this, this may sound funny, but if you hear of a Christian being killed by a bear, think twice about what happened. Because see, all the people in the city, they would have heard that story and thought, oh, can you believe that bear came out and killed all those kids? Killed them all. A bear did that. They may not have heard that, they came, that those kids came out and were making fun of the prophet of God. They may not have heard that part, but they heard about the bear killing the youths. Am I saying that every Christian who dies is dying as a result of judgment? No, I'm not. Not at all. In fact, the Bible even talks about Christians who have died, but it wasn't because of judgment. You know, if you really believe this is true, you need to take it seriously. And where God talks here in this prophecy about about how that... um, you know, some of those whose mound collapses will never recover. But we're not the ones to begin looking around at people and saying, ah, your mound collapsed, didn't it? You'll never recover. No, no, no. You've got to leave that to God. And really, they're the ones making the choice. But he goes on to say in this, others will have the eyes of their understanding enlightened and will begin rebuilding their lives and walk with God. He says, this is where you, 
those hearing this prophecy come in. You absolutely must be a doer of the word. You must do those things which produce spiritual growth so you are ready to help and disciple those Christians who are striving to rebuild their mound. Years of compromise in the church have resulted in the storm clouds gathering. The storm will be released in 2023. But he says, we've got a responsibility to help those who are trying to get back on the right path. You know, as he said, you know, rebuild their mound. And we've got a responsibility to help them. Now look over at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Do you know some people would leave this church or any church where a message like today's delivered because, well, that preacher, he's too hard. <laughs> Let's see, Jesus took a whip and did what? <laughs> what? Jesus overturned the money changers? I mean, come on, the tables? But seriously? I haven't done that. Ooh, you know what? I'll come in here to whip someday. <laughs> We're having church. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, pick it up in verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know you not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Now, he's telling you right here, Jesus is the foundation. But now look over in Ephesians chapter 2, and you're going to see more about this. Ephesians chapter 2, and pick it up in verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. He's, writing to, to, he's really writing to Gentile believers. But he says, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. All right, so what do we see here? We see, in essence, that Jesus is the starting point for everything in the kingdom. He is referred to as, uh, you know, the foundation, the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets, you know, they give the teaching that comes from the cornerstone, so on and so forth. So we know that when it comes to the kingdom, Jesus is the starting point. But now let's look at this from a little, um, kind of from a different perspective. What is revival's starting point? 
Now, we know, again, Jesus is the starting point for everything in the kingdom. But what is revival's starting point? Well, now, some people might say, well, you know, it's, it's the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the believer, the Christian, may be perfect, fully mature spiritually, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, thoroughly furnished or spiritually equipped to do everything God says to be done. So, the word. Okay, I understand that. But, out of all the churches out there who truly believe, you must be born again. And they're going to tell you that the Bible, this is the word of God. Without question, it is the word of God. Out of all those churches. Is there anything, anything at all, that distinguishes those in the early church, just, you know, the book of Acts, the New Testament people, is there anything about them that distinguishes them from many Christians today? Because we all want to see revival. You go into the Baptist church, Nazarene church, and there are Methodist churches that still preach, you must be born again. So you go into all these different churches, you, know, you want to have revival, you want to, yes, we want to see revival. Okay, then what's the cornerstone, what's the foundation for revival. Well, it's Jesus. He's the starting point for everything. Well, it's the Word. We've all got the Word. But yet, yeah, let's be honest. There are a lot of differences here. So if we want to have revival, what's the cornerstone for revival as we can identify it in the Word of God? And what is different about those people in Scripture, in the Bible, in Acts, in the New Testament, what's different about them from what we see in many Christians today? Is there something different that helps facilitate revival? Well, yeah, there is. Let's take a look. Start in Luke 24. Luke 24. See, everybody in here, everybody watching, we all have a Bible. You either have one that's in uh, print form or one that's electronic, but you have a Bible. And most of us, we have more than one. Have one we take with us to church, maybe there's one at home, whatever. whatever. But we all have a Bible. All right, now Luke 24. Now here's what's happened. Jesus has risen from the dead. And he starts walking with these, these two men on what's called the road to Emmaus. And Jesus asks them, you know, why are you guys so down? You know, you, you seem like you're really depressed about something. And they looked at him and they said, what, are you new around here? I mean, haven't you heard? You know, the, our leaders, they, they crucified Jesus. And, and we, had, we thought he was going to be the hope of the nation, so on and so forth. Well, you pick this up. And he, and he says, uh, they said, you know, some of the women of our group... Uh, they went to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. We don't know what happened. And, well, Jesus says, verse 25, O fools and so of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. O fools and slow of heart to believe. Do you realize that describes so many in the body of Christ today? But he continues and says, O fools and so of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? 
Now look here. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew near unto the village, whether they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you here any meat? And he gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Now, look again in verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then in verse 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And verse uh, 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Okay, now, they had the scriptures, but they didn't understand. But they thought they understood. Do you realize that? They thought they understood, but then Jesus, he says, let me paraphrase here. He says, okay, you know what you guys have read. You know how it's been taught. You know what you have thought that it meant. Let me explain to you the message that's really being given here in these passages. Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. We have no idea how long Jesus spoke. Because if he started at Moses and goes through <laughs> the law, the prophets, Psalms, my goodness. You talk about they're going through Bible University in, in just a, you know, a couple of hours here or however long it took. And so those of us today, many Christians, they, was, they might say something like, Man, I tell you what, I, I wish he would do that for me. So, well, what is it you want him to do? Well, <laughs> I wish he would open my understanding so that I might understand the scriptures. I just wish he would do that for me. Okay, what makes you think he isn't trying? And, and, and you say, well, what are you talking about? John chapter 16. Turn over there. No, I tell you what, John 14. John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, 
That is right before he gets arrested and crucified. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it receiveth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And then in chapter 16, verse 13, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show thing, He will show you things to come. Okay, so, here's the deal. Jesus opened their understanding to understand the Scriptures. They already had the Scriptures. They'd already read what we would call, you know, the Bible. They read it, they had it, they, they'd seen it, they could quote from it. But Jesus opened their understanding so that they could grasp the message that was contained in the Scriptures. Not just what was written, but the understanding of what was written. Even See, it was, a, it was the fact that the religious leaders of that time did not understand what was written. That's why they crucified Jesus. Because they didn't understand, and when he tried to explain it to them, it made them even madder. Well, we'll kill you anyway. You know, we don't appreciate this. So Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to pick up where I left off. And if you look in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, who's making the intercession for us? It's the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, He's been with you, but He shall be in you. So the Holy Spirit is making intercession to me, for me, through me, according to the will of God, because He is in me to do this. When I don't know how I should pray, oh God, I'm here and, and I'm reading in Ephesians, I'm reading in Hebrews, I'm, I just don't understand this. Holy Spirit says, I do. I, do. I understand this. Let me help you. Let me pick up where Jesus left off and open your understanding. If you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 2. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Meaning, as I'm praying in this language that's given to me by the Holy Spirit, my mind does not understand that language. My human mind, my natural intellect does not understand that language. However, my spirit is engaged with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is moving in my spirit to deliver this language that I am praying. We call it praying in tongues. Now look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Remember, he said that if you speak in an unknown tongue, what are you doing? You're in communication with God and you're speaking mysteries. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a what? How can you speak the wisdom of God in a mystery if you don't understand the mystery of the wisdom of God? You have to have been doing something to come to the place of having your understanding enlightened, opened up, to grasp this mystery. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Meaning, this wisdom, God said before he created creation, he said, it is my will for you to understand these things. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But... God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit's not searching for anything. You understand that? The Holy Spirit is God. He already knows everything. My Spirit, my Spirit is searching for these deep things of God. Why is it my Spirit? (laughs) Because until I was born again, I didn't have a Spirit that was capable of searching out the deep things of God. And he says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. The moment I get born again is the moment that I have that life, that spiritual life of God on the inside of me, which gives me the capacity to understand the Scriptures when they are opened to me. And he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? Why? that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, the mysteries, the deep things of God, those things that are contained in Scripture, those things that are hidden in the Word. Look, do you realize what God is saying here is this. You can understand the Bible if you want to. If you want to. It's totally up to you. And he says, Which things also we speak, not the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. With the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. What words is the Holy Ghost teaching me? Praying in that heavenly language. Praying in tongues. Comparing what? Spiritual things with spiritual. Bypassing the natural and comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, my natural man, <laughs> my natural mind, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? They are spiritually discerned. So here I am, I'm praying in tongues. My spirit is in in communication with God. And the Holy Spirit is ministering to my spirit. And my spirit is then moving in this direction of spiritual discernment or spiritual understanding of these things of God. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Where is the mind of Christ? It's in my born-again spirit. It's the mind of Christ. And I receive Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm born again with the life of God because I put my faith in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Along with that new nature comes the mind of Christ. The ability to understand the things that are recorded in Scripture. See, the new nature is not your teacher. The Holy Spirit 
is your teacher. The new nature gives us the capacity to be taught by the teacher. Spirit to spirit, so we can fully understand his teaching and the Bible. Jesus opened the understanding of those people that we read about over there in Luke. He opened the understanding of those he encountered after his resurrection. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit was sent to pick up where Jesus left off and continue his work opening our understanding so that we can grasp what is recorded in Scripture. So that we can understand it. So that we don't get caught up in all this doctrine that is dragging people away from God and they don't even know it. You see... Intense study of uh, like the Hebrew and the Greek and doing you know historical background and so forth of these things that you read about in Scripture. I mean that can result in a lot of understanding concerning Scripture. The reason for that is because the new nature coupled with the mind of Christ has the capacity to understand these things. However, if a deeper level of understanding and knowledge were not available, a, a deeper level than going beyond just studying the Greek and the Hebrew and the history and so on. If a deeper level of understanding and knowledge were not available, then the Holy Spirit would not be referred to as teaching us all things and guiding us into all truth. If there wasn't a need for the Holy Spirit to get involved, then we wouldn't see these references to the Holy Spirit as being a teacher and our need for praying in tongues to receive that spirit-to-spirit communication. If, if we could do it completely on our own, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be referenced here. Because you see, there comes a point where the human mind and intellect can no longer properly analyze the depths of the mysteries of God contained in the Bible. There comes a point to where our human ability to analyze, it, it ends. There's an end of the road there, all right? That's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. See, it's one thing to know the words that are written in the Bible, but it's another thing to understand the message those words are conveying. Totally different thing. Jesus is the starting point for everything in the kingdom. Absolutely everything. Revival's cornerstone. It's the interaction with the Holy Spirit by praying in tongues which enabled the apostles to deliver kingdom truth, which is God's word, to converts and move in the original outpouring of God's spirit and revival. See, you have a lot of Christians today, they talk about, yeah, you know, you've got to get born again and you've got to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, glory, I want that. Yeah, well, you need to read a little bit more because the Holy Spirit has been sent to teach us and to guide us into all truth. Even if we never operate in power, the Holy Spirit has been sent to teach us and guide us into all truth. Oh, I, I believe in the power. I, believe, I just don't know why I'm not seeing any power in my life. You mean there's a lack of understanding? Yeah, there's a lack of understanding. The Holy Spirit will open the understanding from Scripture as to what's going on that you're not seeing the power demonstrated. It's in there. And so it's not simply about, you know, we sing that song, we got the power in the name of Jesus. We talk about being anointed, the Holy Ghost. Yes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for the power. However, it's not just about the power. It's about us understanding the Word of God. 
That is what separates those people in the New Testament from Christians today. These people prayed in tongues. This is how they got this revelation. Even the Apostle Paul said, I think, my God, I pray in tongues more than y'all. He was from the South. (laughs) Meaning, do you know what 1 Corinthians is? It's him reminding the people of what he's already taught them. So for him to come back and say, I think, my God, that I pray in tongues more than you all, what he's saying is, you people have not done what I told you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have all this stuff going on in your church. If you had done what I said, then he says, I think, my God, I pray in tongues more than all of you people combined. Why? Because that enables me to turn around and minister edification unto you out of the understanding that the Holy Spirit has given to me. Look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And you'll see this at work. In Acts chapter 6, just begin in verse 1. And in those days when the number of the apostles were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, or it's not reasonable, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now look here. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. See that? They didn't say we're going to give ourselves continually to going out and having demonstrations of power. They said we will give ourselves continually to prayer. What kind of prayer do you think they were talking about? You know, now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) I mean, good food, good meat, praise the Lord, let's eat. What do you think they were praying about? (laughs) They're praying in the Spirit. Because they knew the Holy Spirit was picking up where Jesus left off. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. Let's put it like this. I will not leave you without a teacher. I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit, He's coming. I've been teaching you out of what the Holy Spirit has had me teach. But I've not been in you. And there have been times I haven't actually been with you. But the Holy Spirit, He will be in you 24-7, and you can experience teaching all day long. Well, how in the world can I experience teaching all day long? You pray in tongues, and the Holy Spirit is moving. Glory to God. You know, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, <laughs> it takes the Bible to present these kind of truths. Now, the need to yield to prayer and the word is not just for the apostles. It's for the believer. These signs shall follow them that believe. And we want to focus on the power. But the sign of truth, listen, truth How can I say this? The operation of truth supersedes the operation of power. Because Jesus warned about signs and wonders in the last days, 
leading people in the direction of false prophets. Remember that? But if I'm walking at that in truth, even if I see no power demonstrated through me at all, nothing, no signs, no wonders, but if I'm walking in truth, if, I'm, if I remain on that mound, you know what I'm talking about, then you know what? I will endure to the end. Now for those of us, you know, we've heard these prophecies this morning, and folks, look, we have to, be, we have to give ourselves to praying in tongues and the Word. That's just the way it is. For us to get to the place of guarding against deception, but also to be at that place so that we're able to help these people whose their mounds have collapsed and now they're trying to, you know, reboot their lives. We've got to be at that place to help them out. We, we cannot, when we're ministering to people, and it's not just me, I mean, it's all of us here. It can't just be a matter of, you know, somebody saying, this part in the Bible where I'm reading, I mean, I'm not sure I understand. It can't be a, well, I think what it means is, no, you can't do that. Because what that, what that says to the person is, you don't know. <laughs> now, I understand. There are some things in the Bible I read, and I think, I'm actually in prayer, I'm reading, and I'll stop, and I'll think, God, I have no idea what this is talking about here. But I know how to find out. Now, it might be a few weeks, a few months, or whatever, before I break through to the understanding, but I know how to find out, praise God. Praise the Lord. Now, listen. Tough times are coming, and I don't know the sum total of what that means. We've got tough times now. I don't know what all is going to manifest here over the next year, or the year beyond that. But I do know this. God knows. And He's already got a plan to get us through. It means we have to put our faith in Him. And if you're here today, and you're watching, you need to understand. The things that have been prophesied in Bible in the Bible, they're coming to pass. And things are going to get really bad. There are going to be wars. I don't know what's going to happen in the days to come over in Europe, but bad stuff's going to happen. And all it takes is one country to launch a nuke onto another country. And I'm telling you what, they could end up getting launched all over the place. I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying it could. You just don't know what domino is going to start the fall. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you now, in spite of all the bad stuff that is coming, coming, He will be there for you to see you through, no matter what. And not only will He see you through, He will receive you into His arms the moment you close your eyes for the last time. But you have to put your faith in Him. There is no other way. So right now, right now, wherever you are, in this room, watching, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if this is what you want to do, if you want to have that assurance of His life in you, then just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sin in my life. I am not perfect, but I need the perfect life you offer. I invite you into my life. Please remove from me the old sin nature and cleanse me of all sin. I receive from you the life that you are offering, that born-again life. 
And I also ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I receive you, and I ask you to give unto me all of your spiritual gifts you know that I need, including the gift of praying in tongues. I receive it from you, and I thank you for it, and I ask you to help me from this day forward to live for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, right then, you know, in that prayer uh, was included to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to receive that gift of tongues. Now, there may be Christians, uh, you know, here in this room or watching, maybe you've never received that gift of praying in tongues. It's not complicated, but religion has made it complicated. It's just a matter of you receiving this gift from the Holy Spirit and then praying it out, just speaking forth. It's going to be in a language that you don't know. It'll be in a language that nobody knows unless God works a, a supernatural miracle in that respect. But it's a matter of, of you just yielding to what God wants you to have. Now, he doesn't force it on you. It's a decision you make. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to lead in a prayer for people to receive that gift of praying in tongues. And at the end of the prayer, I'm going to start praying in tongues. And you just begin praying in tongues. You may think it sounds like gibberish or baby talk or whatever. Don't worry about that. It's what the Holy Spirit is giving you at this particular time that he knows you need to have. And, uh, it, you know, do not be saying things like, uh, well, Jesus, I praise you, I love you. In other words, don't speak in your natural language. Just begin to speak in tongues. Uh, it, it, it sounds crazy to some people, but it's not. It's scriptural. And it's a gift God wants you to have. So, I'm just going to lead in this prayer. And if this is what you want, if you want this gift, you can have it. So, the Holy Spirit, I want the gift of praying in tongues. And I ask you to give it to me. I will not let my mind counteract what you're doing in my heart. I receive that gift from you, Holy Spirit. And I will pray in tongues. In Jesus' name, amen. You just keep praying. You just keep praying in tongues as you're listening to me. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Don't worry if, if uh, it doesn't sound like what I was doing. That's, that's not important. What's important is that you pray in tongues, that you continue to let the Holy Spirit pray this through you. Those of you watching, same thing. Just receive this. And just begin praying in tongues. Now, I know that some people... They're kind of hesitant to do this in front of others, you know, congregation. I, I get that. When you go home, get alone. And just begin to pray in tongues. And if you want to pray the prayer, you know, again, Holy Spirit, give me this gift, go ahead and do it. But get alone and pray in tongues. And those of you that just received this gift of, of praying in tongues, get alone. Pray in tongues, because the more that you do this, 
is the more that the Holy Spirit is going to be able to confirm to you that this truly is a supernatural gift from God to you. It's not you just making something up in your head, but this is something that God is doing in your life. Praise the Lord. 